Good morning. I'm Riley, and this is Lifestyle Tucson, a program where I speak with nonprofit groups and organizations, finding out how they serve our community and getting updates on current projects. For the first portion of today's show, I am sharing my conversation with the Tucson Gem and Mineral Society. I'm speaking with Peter McGaw, who is the show chairman and exhibits chairman for the Tucson Gem and Mineral Show. I saw that the Tucson Gem and Mineral Society was formed over 75 years ago, 1946, and I would kind of like to start our conversation right there. Can you tell me a bit more about this group's origins and uh, its mission? Okay, well, first of all, I have to say, although people sometimes say I'm one of the founders, I'm not even close to, uh, to being one of the founders, and actually, the last of the founders of the show passed away, I believe, two years ago. The show was basically, the, the society was started by couples, for the most part, um, coming out of World War II, uh, who'd gotten interested in lapidary and minerals and things like that, and wound up settling in Tucson after the war, or returning to Tucson after the war, got sort of interested in hanging out together and talking about rocks and minerals, and formed the society, and then in 1954, they decided to have a show, and they started it in what was then the cafeteria at Helen Keeling uh, elementary school, which is still there, although it's been rebuilt. They started off with about a half a dozen dealers and about 10 exhibitors. About 500 people went through the show. <laughs> Early 1960s, not knowing that the Smithsonian essentially had rules against exhibits traveling, uh, they invited the Smithsonian to exhibit at the show. And the curator of the Smithsonian, Paul Desitzelm at the time, said, sounds good to me, and he brought an exhibit out went home, told his friends at other museums like the American Museum of Natural History and Carnegie and uh, Harvard and places like that, that there's this cool show out in Tucson, and it's pretty nice to be in Tucson in early February. That that got our exhibits really rolling. Yeah, the rest is history. What's the furthest you know of someone traveling for the Tucson Gem and Mineral Show? Whatever falls exactly on the opposite side <laughs> from us, uh, there's people who come from there, people from Australia, we have people who come from China, we have people who come from Siberia, we have people who come from Argentina, Canada, all over Europe. Are you expecting to have international visitors with the Gemini Mineral Show this year? There are already a, a fairly large number of international members of the mineral community in town. Uh, there's fewer than there usually mm -hmm. are because of COVID, but a lot of people are pretty dedicated about this, so so they're here. Yeah. So while many shows pop up in Tucson during the Gem Mineral and Fossil Showcase opening day for the Tucson Gem and Mineral Society show at the Tucson Convention Center will be starting soon, uh, the show that glows. And I would like for you to tell me a bit more about the notable exhibits that attendees will be able to see while they visit. I'll be happy to. I'll, I'll complete your sentence for you and say that our show opens on February the 10th, and we are in the T Tucson Convention Center. Uh, this year, we have two themes. We have the 50th, 50th anniversary celebration of the Fluorescent Mineral Society. This will be the biggest accumulation or biggest assembly of fluorescent mineral exhibits ever put together. There'll be 70 four or 75 exhibits. These are major fluorescent mineral collectors from all over the world. And people go, well, what does that mean? Well, you know, blacklight posters and things like that. Natural minerals do some of the same kinds of things under a blacklight that a blacklight poster does. 
And so what you will see is cases of minerals that may not be very exciting in daylight, but as soon as you put on the short wave or the long wave or the medium wave ultraviolet lights, they will pop and change color. Some of them continue to glow after you turn the lights off. Really spectacular. It almost reminds me of like day glow paint, that super neon bright uh, color. And the other theme is minerals of the appetite supergroup. And, you know, appetite is actually a very important mineral for people because your teeth are made of appetite, oh, wow. your bones are made of appetite. Um, and so, you know, they are structurally fundamentally important to us. It's also a really beautiful group of nice big crystals. They all, when they talk about a supergroup, it just means they have the same structure. Mm -hmm. so if you think about you know, something like Lego, this is things that are all put together with basically the same Lego pattern to make up the crystal structure. A lot of them are also fluorescent. And I actually did look a bit into appetite crystals while I was uh, just looking into more about the Gem and Mineral Society. And what I thought was really fascinating is that it's so diverse as well, the different types of uh, crystals that are in that family, different colors, different shapes and structures. It's really cool just how broad it is. What was it the most common was uh, like the Mexican Appetite or something? Yeah. Flora Appetite. Yeah. Cerro de Mercado. They call it asparagus stone because it has a brilliant yellow Greek color to it. Building off of that, so where do these exhibits come from? They come from all over mm -hmm. the world. This year, because of the realities of COVID, a number of major institutions, like the Smithsonian, for example, had travel restrictions mm -hmm. imposed on but nonetheless, we'll still have exhibits from Harvard and the American Museum and Los Angeles County and places like that. So major international mineral museums uh, are what we draw upon. And then a lot of it is, is private collectors, people who, you know, in the, in the case of the fluorescent exhibits, these are members of the Fluorescent Mineral Society, and they've been working hard for two years to put all these exhibits together to make sure they are an absolute knockout. And then it's local collectors, dealers who want to show off uh, some of the spectacular things that they have acquired for, to sell to the public. Uh, the things in the exhibit cases are not, uh, but you go, I like that. I'll find the dealer's booth and I'll go see what they have that is like these. So pretty much everywhere. Plus, we feature the earth science winners of the Southern Arizona Regional Science Fair. So the SARCEF winners will be there. Uh, this year, we will also have a young kid named Bridger, uh, who comes from Wyoming, who got sort of famous on the internet a few years ago. His sister, he was six at the time, and his sister, who I think was two and a half or three, was about to be attacked by a big dog. And Bridger jumped in front of the dog, stopped the dog from attacking his sister, got his face ripped open in the process, and his aunt put something out on the internet, on Facebook or something like that, that says, this has happened to Bridger, this is terrible. Uh, and then someone asked her questions, and he, she said, he likes rocks and minerals. And thousands of people sent him rocks and minerals. So he wound up going from nothing to this huge collection of rocks and minerals. He's bringing some of the best things here. I think he's eight now. 
And because he wants to say thank you to the mineral community for how they reached out to him at a very difficult time. There's kind of a, these are just sort of things that happen to us every once in a while. Fortunately, not very often in a situation like this, uh, but it's really fun. He wants to be here. Yeah. He wants to come and share something that clearly brings him a lot of joy and happiness, having this collection and sharing that with the community. You're listening to Lifestyle Tucson. I'm speaking with Peter McGaw from the Tucson Gem and Mineral Society. He is the show chairman and exhibits chairman for the Tucson Gem and Mineral Show. Something I read about was how the Tucson Gem and Mineral Society strives to encourage interest and study of geology. And from what I understand, there are a couple of different ways that you reach out to curious minds. Will you tell me a bit more about the junior education effort? Sure. I'd be absolutely delighted to. So the Tucson Gem and Mineral Society is devoted, as you said, to education and increasing in, in appreciation for minerals and earth sciences in general. So probably 30 years ago, we started a what we call junior education. It's an outreach program where we work with students from the Undergraduate Geology Club at the University of Arizona. And they put together an interactive mineral and fossil and sort of earth science workstation for the kids for, for the kids who come to our show uh, to work through. So they learn about basic mineral identification, they learn about volcanoes, they look about work about dinosaurs, all with interacting with students. And of course, this is a great opportunity for the students. It's a great opportunity for the kids. They're given a treasure hunt basically to go out and look at various exhibits and when they come back with it completed they're given a mineral specimen uh, to reward them for their efforts um they typically all walk away with an egg carton full of at least a dozen mineral specimens a lot of minerals to put in those in those cartons the society gives a, a nice donation to the undergrad club so that they can go out on a field trip and appreciate the rocks at a higher level. Definitely, and a great way to get, uh, you know, kids and just people interested and involved, especially I think about when, like, the little ones, how exciting it is to kind of get to dig up and discover it yourself and very (laughs) hands-on. Just to stand and watch Mm -hmm. kids going into and coming out of and running around with their treasures. Yeah. Uh, trying to trying to find the things that they're asked. And then listing all of the things they can now identify. Uh, you know, and it's important to always keep learning. And so curious minds grow up. And from what I understand, there's also there's more to the Tucson Gem and Mineral Show than just the exhibits and the vendors. There's also I, a schedule I saw for a symposium and guest speakers. Will you tell me a bit more about that aspect of the show? We're all about education. Mm-hmm. And... What sets us apart, we are designed for the public, and so we have this educational outreach that we do. So for anybody who wants to attend, we have lecture series. Uh, they're sort of organized into symposia. They're organized with the Friends of Mineralogy. Uh, there are talks organized by TGMS. There's a micro-mount symposium for people who look at minerals, tiny little crystals under the microscope. And... Uh, they can be extremely aesthetic and extremely affordable uh, and doesn't take up a lot of space. So you can live in an efficiency apartment and still have a big mm-hmm. micro minerals. So all of these all of these programs exist for people who you know, feet are tired from walking around on the floor of the show. They can sit down for an hour or two or three 
uh, and listen to some of the world's experts on these topics talk about the appetite group minerals, talk about micro minerals from whatever locality. Yeah, I saw there was even one on what makes some minerals uh, fluorescent, the science behind that. Um, so I'd like to go over just the need to knows about the Tucson Gem and Mineral Show. Like you mentioned, it'll be opening up on Thursday the 10th and running all weekend. It runs until Sunday afternoon. Uh, the show is open from 10 in the morning until 6 on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. We close at 5 o'clock on Sunday. It's in the convention center. Remember that the convention center has some construction mm -hmm. going on, so you need to come in on the east side of the building. And Pima County is under a mask mandate, and the TCC embraces that. So uh, you know, if you come to the show, please bring your mask. What we need for the shows to happen. And we had to cancel last year uh, in the face of COVID, and most of the shows either canceled or postponed last year. And from an overall standpoint, this represents $130 million roughly. And that's not how much business is done. That's what stays behind. It's a huge whack to the Tucson economy not to have for everybody to recognize and be responsive so we can continue to have not just our show, but all the other kinds of events that make us the tourist destination we want to be. Definitely. And do you recommend that people purchase tickets prior to attending, or can you go to the TCC ticket office when you show up and purchase tickets to get in? Well, you can you can buy tickets in advance. You can buy them on site. It just depends on whether you want to stand in a line. <laughs> How much patience you have for the day. <laughs> Correct. I should point out that around town, uh, there is availability, and probably on the TGMS website, which is tgms.org, you can get a discount coupon. Oh, cool. Either 2 or $3 off on the ticket. Uh, we are, our website is www.tgms.org. Okay. We are a nonprofit organization. We're the only nonprofit organization involved with the shows. Mm -hmm. And that's where all those extra partnerships kind of start to come into play. Well, is there anything else, Peter, you would like to add on before we wrap up today? Just that, you know, for those of us who love gems and minerals, this is... This is our gift to Tucson every year. As the exhibit's chair, what we do is we put together a world-class mineral museum. You'd have to travel all over the world to see the things that are brought to exhibit at our show. That museum exists for four days and then disappears never to be seen again. So it's a, it's a wonderful thing to experience. There's lots of stuff to buy. It's the weekend before Valentine. Mm -hmm. uh, we are the local nonprofit organization. We plow we plow our revenues back into scholarship supports at the university and, and outreach programs to local schools and things like that. So if you've been out to a show along the highway or something like that, you haven't actually been to the Tucson Gem and Mineral Show. So come to the TGMS show in the convention mm -hmm. center and, you know, maybe even you'll decide you want to join the society, yeah. which is also very easy to do at that same website, tgms.org. Can you tell me what's, what's some of the perks of uh, joining the Tucson Gem and Mineral Society? We have a meeting every month where we have a speaker. Uh, we have regular educational programs where a knowledgeable member of the society talks about a mineral group or how to clean minerals or collect minerals. We have occasional field trips. Uh, we have 
subgroups like the micro mineral group who get together uh, once a month. And then, of course, you can also help volunteer for the show. Yeah. <laughs> well, that is wonderful, Peter. Well, once again, can you just give me those details on the upcoming Tucson Gem and Mineral Show? Yeah, our show is at the Tucson Convention Center, mm-hmm. Thursday, February 10th through Sunday, February 13th, from 10 in the morning until 6 on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. We close at 5 o'clock on Sunday, and you can get tickets online or at the TCC box office. That was Peter McGaw from the Tucson Gem and Mineral Society. He is the show chairman and exhibits chairman for the Tucson Gem and Mineral Show that is going to be opening up this coming Thursday, February 10th at the TCC. More information can be found at tgms.org. You're listening to Lifestyle Tucson. For the next portion of today's program, I am sharing a conversation I had with the Tucson Rodeo Parade Committee. I am speaking with... My name's Marshall Stewart, and I'm the chairman of the Tucson Rodeo Parade Committee. I don't know how long I've been a committee member, but it's about 20 years. Ah. I am Herb Wagner. Um, I am the current board secretary and uh, also chair of entries and lineup. I've been on the committee for over 35 years. Stan Martin. I'm uh, the chairman of the museum board of directors. Uh, I've been on the committee almost 10 years, and I started about 20 years ago, helping line up bands for the, uh, for the parade. And that's how I got involved. Well, I mean, might as well just say it. It's back. The Tucson Rodeo Parade is back for 2022. If someone is new to Tucson, it might seem like, wow, these people are really into their rodeo parade. But it is so much more than just that. I would like to start with just how long the Tucson Rodeo Parade has been making its trek. The Tucson Rodeo Parade uh, began in 1925 along with the Tucson Rodeo. It was sort of the brainchild of an eastern uh, transplant from New York City, a fellow by the name of Frederick Leighton Kramer. And uh, he was a polo player and had several polo teams back east. And when he moved out to Tucson, he created and put together a polo team and he wanted to raise some funds to get his team to go back and play his other buddies back on the East Coast. So he proposed to the local uh, businesses that they have a rodeo now. He remembers growing up in New York, going to um, the Wild West shows back at the you know early part of the 20th century, uh, thought that this would be a great thing to have because he remembered when he saw you know the cowboys and the rodeo and the, and the Indian shootouts and things like that that they used to have in those, he thought that would be a great thing. Well, the local business people with the ranches, the working ranches that were all around Tucson thought he was a little crazy because there was basically rodeos every weekend uh, around Tucson, you know, the Cowboys like to compete against each other, but they, he got them on board. He got them to sponsor prizes and put together, uh, a plan to hold a rodeo in Tucson. Um, and one of the things that he did to promote it was that all the participants in the rodeo had to be in the parade along with groups, um, businesses who wanted to sponsor an entry in a parade. And the idea was that the parade would go through downtown Tucson, hopefully pass by as many of the businesses that had been sponsoring it. They would lead the the people out to the rodeo grounds, which uh, was owned by Kramer, uh, called Kramer Field, uh, at the current location of Banner University Medical Center. 
So they went out there and they had the rodeo basically lined the, uh, the area with uh, automobiles and uh, people and they watched the rodeo take place. It became a, a tradition after that and uh, has transitioned to be one of the largest, uh, the largest midwinter rodeo in the United States. That's awesome. And is it true that one of the original prizes was a giant chunk of ice? Yes, they had <laughs> quite a few different. They had a big ham as one uh, prize. They had a block of ice as another prize. They had um, very interesting, um, you know, obviously things where that would be uh, equine related, like bridles and saddles and things like that. But yes, uh, common things like a sack of potatoes, a ham, and a and a block of ice were part of the prizes. You're listening to Lifestyle Tucson. That was Herb Wagner. It's interesting, but. Obviously, much different times in 1925 than uh, where we are now. Can you tell me a bit about how many people, wagons, horses are typically in the procession? Well, I can speak to that a little bit. Yeah. Um, generally speaking, we have around 120 entries in the parade. Some years a few more, some years a few less. I get copies of all the entry forms that come in. Uh, and, and so I would say that we're at this point, we're getting about four or five entries per day. Uh, and they're all different kinds of, of, uh, activities. So some of them are people who are going to rent some of our wagons and, uh, and go through with uh, a wagon and horses and people on the wagon. Uh, in addition to that, we have a number of riding groups that will be with us. I think right now we have, uh, eight marching bands, including the university of Arizona band. So it's pretty exciting. Uh, it, it puts together a pretty exciting parade. Now, what does this mean in terms of the city of Tucson, especially where, where we're located down around uh, Ir Irvington and South Sixth? We normally have as many as 200,000 people. Now, this is amazing. And it's been amazing to me ever since I learned about this. But we have about 200,000 people who line the streets or sit in our grandstands just to watch the parade. Some of them come out the night before, camp out so that they can have a primo spot uh, to, to be able to watch the parade. And it's, it's really exciting when you go around the parade route and you see all these people and a lot of them are cheering, they're waving. I'm, I'm a retired band director. And so when my band was going through, there'd be people that I knew on the sides and they'd be waving and hollering at me. And it, there's a sense of excitement that, mm -hmm. that I don't think anything else, else uh, quite brings out. One thing to know, we are listed as the largest single day activity in the state of Arizona. Oh, wow. So we draw more people to watch the, the parade and participate in the parade than any other activity at all. In fact, you could, you could take a full football stadium at the U of A and a a full McHale Center, and we still have more people yeah. <laughs> serving the parade. So uh, it's pretty exciting for me as a person, uh, and I think for most of our committee members, uh, it's pretty exciting to be a part of, of that kind of thing and to be carrying on the historic uh, tradition of the Tucson Rodeo Parade. That was Marshall Stewart, chairman for the Tucson Rodeo Parade. Yeah, it's definitely a tradition, and it's it almost feels like a city holiday i remember because i've only been living in tucson since about 2016. i remember the first time i saw and i was driving past a school on prince and they had a sign like rodeo parade break and i'm like they get out of school for the rodeo parade that's amazing 
Yeah, we're the only we're the only city in the United States that uh, closes the schools down for rodeo. We began that back in the nineteen late nineteen forties. Oh wow! So that's even tradition. a longstanding tradition in itself. Yep. yep. And it was because we wanted um, students to be able to get out of school with their families, go watch the parade, go to the rodeo, be participants in the parade, high school bands, junior high school bands. Back then, they would have uh, rodeo courts that would be voted on. So high schools would have their entries on a wagon, you know, going through the parade. So it was to encourage that participation and spectatorship for the, for the parade. One of the fun things when you go through the parade as a participant, you get to see all these people in the crowd. But the, the fun part is to see all of these young children that are all dressed up. Talk about cowboy up. Yeah. They, they, they're, they're all dressed and, you know, they've got their six shooters on. And not that they shoot yeah. anything, but, uh, but it's just fun to see the kids really totally enjoying uh, all the horses and wagons and, and marching bands as they go by in, in the parade. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of fun for all ages as well. I'll admit, I'm I when I see a pretty horse, it makes me stop because I got to look. Um, so you had mentioned the grandstand. Uh, so is the grandstand going to be back as well for 2022? Yes, uh, our our parade grandstands are located on Irvington. Uh, just actually, they extend from South Sixth Avenue for about two blocks uh, going east. So uh, on both sides of the road. And uh, if you would like to buy tickets, you can do that online. Sitting in the grandstand is one of the best places to see the parade because you get to see everything. But not only do you get to see everything, we have announcers from radio stations <laughs> who will be announcing the parade and telling everybody what they're seeing as, as it comes through the grandstand. Mm -hmm. So, so it's, it, it's, a, it's a really good place to see it. It's not terribly expensive. And you can buy your tickets online uh, at uh, TucsonRodeoParade.com or .org, either one. I'd like to also add that um, that uh, the grandstands, there is pre-parade entertainment. So you're not just showing up at the grandstands and sitting there waiting for the parade to start. Uh, currently, we have Gertie and the T.O. Boys from the Dahan Autumn uh, Reservation, uh, a Wyla band. Uh, they play very upbeat music. Uh, they play lots of polkas and, and things like that, which you wouldn't expect. And also we've got from uh, the Pueblo High School, we've got the Mariachi uh, Aslan and also the Folklorico Guerrero uh, uh, dancers that will be participating also. We try to stay multicultural. Um, the, the, Tucson is just packed with diversity here in Tucson, mm -hmm. you know, cultural diversity. Mm -hmm. And so um, we just try to highlight that. And I think it's been that way since the very first parade. That was Stan Martin from the Tucson Rodeo Parade Committee. So, yeah, get a little bit of entertainment, see some great music and performances while you're waiting for the parade as well. And it's also a great way for people who maybe are new to Tucson or the area to kind of get out and see just the diversity of our community and how many different cultures we have here just living together and working together and putting on great events like the Tucson Rodeo Parade. And just again, uh, for all things Tucson Rodeo Parade, where should they look for info? TucsonRodeoParade.org.
You've been listening to Lifestyle Tucson. That was part of my recent conversation with members of the Tucson Rodeo Parade Committee, Marshall Stewart, Stan Martin, and Herb Wagner. There is a lot more history to share about this longstanding Tucson tradition, and I will be sharing our full conversation on the next episode of Lifestyle Tucson next Sunday. If you're part of a nonprofit group or organization that would like to be featured in an upcoming episode of the program, you can reach out to me by email, publicaffairs at azlotus.com. That is publicaffairs at azlotus.com. For more information about the program or to listen back to something you may have missed, go to the Sunday mornings page at mixfm.com, kfma.com, klpx.com, or espntucson.com.